0: And now, The Low
1: Post. Welcome to The Low Post podcast Monday morning. I'm back from Vegas. Vegas is still in my bloodstream somewhere. And it's time to take stock of the offseason for a few different teams. And fittingly wearing a Philadelphia Phillies hat, our Los Angeles Lakers insider, Dave McMenamin. How are you?
0: I'm doing well, Zach. I can't believe we were completely ships plastic passing in the night in vegas i think we had one kind of drive by as i was checking in to thomas and mac through the security and you were you know headed the way out i probably to the media room or to a cab to some parts unknown to meet one of your many uh insider sources around the league but uh i'm glad we can catch up now
1: yeah there were some late nights in vegas uh some misbehavior but we are we are back we are on the home front and we have to start we were supposed to talk about the lakers but we have to start with joel Embiid. Uh, One of the rare instances in which a player makes a comment several days ago at the Uninterrupted Sports Film Festival being interviewed by Maverick Carter. um, And Joel Embiid said in response to a kind of a vague question about like, what do we need to look for from Joel Embiid going forward? He said, I just want to win a championship, whatever it takes. I don't know where that's going to be, whether it's in Philly or anywhere else. I just want to have a chance to accomplish that. Whoa, that's a record scratch. I don't know where that's going to be, whether it's in Philly or anywhere else. And if you're paying attention, if you've been paying attention rather, that, none, that should not surprise you. I've said for more than a year that this is a simmering situation in Philly. And then the Harden stalemate, which remains a stalemate on July 17th, has only sort of I, I, as soon as the Harden news dropped from Woj that he was opting in. And had, quote, according to Woj, likely played his last game with the Sixers. I said, forget all these other names. There's only one name that matters. It's Joel Embiid. What's going to happen, Joel Embiid? All the teams with draft picks, <clears throat> Knicks, are lurking. Sure. And Joel tried to, on Twitter, kind of play this off as, oh, I'm I'm a troll. I'm just trolling. I don't buy it. I, he's too smart for that. He knows exactly what he's doing by saying that. He knows the door that he's opening and look, Philly has has signed Pat Beverly and Mo Bamba and some centers and but they've lost George Yang, they lost Shake Milton, They're in this hardened limbo. Um I don't want to read too much into a comment, but the comment confirms what everyone on paying attention to the NBA landscape already knows, already knew. What what are your thoughts as if as a Philly, a Philly guy, Dave?
0: I mean, line up the Acella Express and <laughs> get sent to him up to New York. That's been what has been the murmurs. You said New York. We've all heard New York. We know the connection between Leon Rose and Joel Embiid. We also know, quite frankly, that Daryl Morey came into a situation that was largely set up before him, and he will continue to craft that team in the fashion that he wants it to look like. Uh And Joel Embiid, now that he has the stamp on his resume of being the reigning MVP, uh, he should be applying pressure to make the urgent window exist in this moment for Philadelphia. And if it doesn't, this is what we see with stars in this game, and that's the beauty of the NBA. If you are one of the singular name stars in the league, uh, you can sway the championship odds of a franchise. Uh, if they can acquire you. There's, there's probably you know, 10 names in the league like that, if not less, if not fewer. I got in trouble uh, on Twitter about six or seven years ago when I did not include Stephen Curry into that list of names. Warriors fans, don't let me I, I for forget one it.
1: I, for one, have not forgiven you, Dave. I still haven't. <laughs> I had no memory of that until you just said it now. <laughs>
0: well... Is I, are you ashamed list. of Let's yourself every clear. day?
1: Every yeah, day do you walk around and feel it's shame?
0: It's the, the worst take I've ever had. And it's the biggest blowback I ever got. But one thing though, it allowed me to open up like the, the vortex into uh, manipulation of the masses. Because had I purposely, because I could have done the same exercise over and over and over again. Made an arbitrary list speaking about Something in the NBA, uh, you know, uh, touting the greatness of, of a group of players and purposely leaving a player off. The engagement goes through the, the roof. Now, at that time, I, I, I think I was downplaying uh, in my mind the uh, masterful career that Steph Curry was in the midst of. Um, I apologize, Steph. I've spoken to him about it in person. Yeah, you but, can't
1: apo- you can't apologize enough, Dave. Every day. <laughs> You should begin the day with an apology every single day. Get on Twitter and say, "Hey, I'm sorry." Every
0: day. I'll tell you this uh, as a as a true you know, "Tie a bow on it, me a culpa." Uh, the NBA's uh, NBA store had an auction, um, and they had the net available from his game four against the Celtics. Basically, it, to me, the pantheon of pantheon games for steph curry uh, you know in the finals they go to boston they lose that game you know who knows what happens in the finals he shuts up the crowd he's on Draymond. he goes nuts 40 plus points and it was like a very reasonable bid price like i think i bid it was like oh, for less than 200 dollars. i was like oh if i can win this thing it's, no one's paying attention to it next time i see him like here you go it's buried for good I, the last day of bidding it went up for like five thousand dollars something like that so I, I didn't quite i couldn't quite afford that but okay all right um i digress but let's talk about joel Embiid. he's one of those guys that he's on that that list and uh he should recognize that value of where he is in his career right now and he should use that to apply pressure to the sixers to make them a winner in the moment and if they can't I think he's well within his rights to, to make a statement like that. And I, I say that as, you know, growing up uh, a proud Philadelphia sports fan, and certainly I care my brother is, is lives and dies by the Sixers' success or failures. But I also know how this business goes. And if Philly can't get it done for Joel, he deserves a, a chance uh, where they, they can get it done and build a contender around him. And this it, Harden thing is very important, not just, you know, to keep that team – intact and keep them you know very competitive I thought the Sixers were you know top five or 16 in the league last year but Harden has also allowed Joel Embiid to be the league's leading scorer and the MVP in the two years he's played with them uh, you know whoever they replace Harden with if they do orchestrated trade better sure make sure that that guy can play a style effectively to keep Joel Embiid happy.
1: Look, to be clear, you said, you know, Joel is well within his rights to do this. This is about as vanilla of a very polite hint of pressure that a superstar could apply. Like this is, in the scheme of things, basically nothing from a guy who, by all accounts, from what I've heard publicly and privately, wants to win in Philly, values the fact that he's got this bond with the team and the city Part of the reason he has that bond with the city in particular is from the process until today, there's one thing that's stood the test of time, one, and it's Joel Embiid. And everything around that is complete chaos to the point of absurd comedy. I mean, I don't need to to list all of the things that have happened, almost happened, didn't happen, should have happened around Joel Embiid leading to this place of another guard in Chaos, this time Harden, and again it's five fifteen Eastern on Monday, July seventeenth. As far as I know, the Harden situation remains a total stalemate. There's only really one team that he wants to go to. That team is the Clippers. Their level of engagement here to me is unclear slash not super enthusiastic. Um I don't know what to make of the possibility that Harden would ever go back to Philly. I continue to hear from people who would know that. You know, the bridge is burned, but that's what people who would know would say on July 17th with two months or whatever before training camp. I don't know how this is going to resolve itself. I know that Daryl Morey has no history of trading star players and James Harden is still a star for spare parts. That if Daryl Morey somehow deviated from that because he felt he had no other alternative, Joel Embiid, by all common sense, would be like, wait, what just happened? We had Ben Simmons. And then we had James Harden and now we have this and I'm not even interested in going back and visiting, revisiting all the other Ben Simmons possibilities. You know, Bill Simmons, the other Simmons, the other B Simmons mentions Tyrese Halliburton a lot. There were DeJounte Murray trades like all that stuff is water under the bridge to me. They made a good trade in acquiring James Harden. It worked. They had either the best or the second best team of the entire Joel Embiid era this past season. The other one being 2019 with Jimmy Butler, who they inexplicably, in, retro, in retrospect at least, let go or traded away or gave into his demands or wouldn't pay him the full five-year amount, whatever it is, ends up in Miami. And again, they got to the second round and again, they lost. And I'll tell you this, Dave, when they won game five in Boston to go up 3-2 and they spanked the Celtics, I thought finally they're going to get over the hump and they ran smack into the hump and fell on their faces again in game seven. And, you know, Joel has three years in a player option for $59 million in 2027 left on his contract. I have no idea what's going to happen, but I it's it's been an obvious thing brewing. You mentioned the Knicks. Everyone's mentioned the Knicks. The funniest possible subplot or resolution, and one that actually makes a ton of sense, is a Brooklyn Nets revenge trade for Joel Embiid after... Whatever happened with Harden ends up going from Brooklyn to Philly. They've got all the assets. They have a team that's actually kind of, or all the draft assets anyway, a team that's actually kind of like positioned to to win with a centerpiece player. That would be the funniest thing. But you know, I, I don't. This this look, man. It's July seventeenth. I have no idea what's going to happen. But this is he's the MVP of the league. He's the MVP, and for the MVP to say anything like that is at least a little bit of an alarm bell.
0: Absolutely. And again, it didn't catch you by surprise or me off guard because the idea of Joel Embiid finishing his career in Philadelphia is not something that it seems like a lock by any stretch of the imagination before or after this comment he made to Maverick Carter on stage in Los Angeles. I, I think what this means is that you know, Mo Bamba and Patrick Beverly uh, as additions aren't enough. Uh, Tyrese Maxey, who's tremendous and, and assuming he continues to improve, is not enough. Uh, Tobias Harris, probably the biggest victim of a, a contract sullying his reputation because he's still a really, really solid player but he is viewed as not the guy worthy of that contract versus just looking at what he does, but still not enough. And this is a team right now, you know, I think ever since Jimmy Butler was not retained, uh, hasn't gotten to that level uh, as a group, uh, even as Joel Embiid has improved. And again, I'm sure all these guys who are in that elite conversation of, of the one name guys, the one name guys that matter. They watch the moves of the other one name guys that matter and they want what the other guys have. And uh, I, I, Daryl Morey, I've had several of his peers over the years. I think I can name two. I think it might've been more than that. Say he's the best of us. He's the best GM in the league. He, he, can create cap uh, space scenarios that, that we had can't even dream of. Um, so if there's a guy who can figure this out, I think Daryl Morey, uh, someone Philadelphia fans should have some faith in, but the clock should be ticking.
1: Yeah. to You, to, you bring up Maxie and Beverly and Harris and whatever, like, The Sixers will be a good team next year if Joel Embiid is on the team with some combination of those players, maybe Harden, maybe what they get for. Like, they're good. They're going to be good. Um, It is interesting how the triangle three-team trade involving Lillard and Harden and the Clippers and the Sixers and the Blazers, you don't hear much noise about that anymore within league circles. Maybe there's just never really been anything to it. Um, The last time we saw Joel Embiid was Game 7 against the Celtics, In Boston, 5 of 18, uh, 4 turnovers, minus 28, getting roasted on the perimeter by Jason Tatum. And he just hasn't been the same guy in the playoffs ever throughout his career. A lot of that is health. And if you—health and whatever else. I mean, if you go just through the years in the playoffs— 2018 they lose in the second round to the Celtics that's his first playoff berth that's fine he like was fine kind of meh in that series but like they were young and you know lost four to one was an okay series first first alarm bells of Ben Simmons in the playoffs and being like whoa what this what's happening um Mm -hmm. 2019 is the Butler year you know and he had a respiratory illness he had stomach issues he was dealing with knee soreness he's always dealing with knee soreness he missed a game in the first round and in the raptors series 16 points 12 points 33 points 11 points 13 points 17 points 21 points in game 7 on 6 of 18 shooting but you know famously and i had to relook this up they were plus 90 with Embiid on the floor in that series and minus 109 in 99 wow. minutes with Embiid on the bench, which is like pretty impossible to do. And again, he's dealing with just a litany of stuff. 2020 bubble, totally overmatched. Simmons out, no shot, swept by Boston. 2021 is the Ben Simmons pass to Matisse Steibel. Um, they lose to the Hawks in game seven. Embiid is playing through uh, a cartilage issue in a knee in that playoffs, missed a game in the first round against Washington, commits 16 turnovers. Combined in the last two games, his assist to turnover ratio for his career in the playoffs is 148 assists to 193 turnovers. That's bad, just bad. Yeah. His playoff his regular season numbers: 27, 11, three assists, three turnovers on 50% shooting, 54% on twos. Playoffs: 24, so minus three points, 11 rebounds, 2.8 assists, 3.6 turnovers, 46% shooting, 28% on threes his free throws go down a little bit too just hasn't been the same guy um 2022 he has the buzzer beater against the raptors to essentially clinch that series an all-time great shot and then misses the first two games of the miami series with a concussion member pascal siakam knocked him in the head toward the end of the Raptors series they go two and two with Embiid in that series zero oh, and two without him game six they lose he's seven of 24 in game six uh, and this year, also dealing with knee issues, missed a game against Brooklyn, a game against Boston. I, You know, I don't, it's, is it luck? Is it size? Is it going all out for the MVP and not pacing himself correctly to be ready for the playoffs? Is it just, it's, it's three different playoffs. It's been knee stuff, knee soreness, but you know, it's not as if he's completely blameless for. Philly just being unable to win a second round playoff series. He's their best player. He has been their best player. It it hasn't been close other than the Butler year, really. I don't think maybe Harden. And no, it wasn't close this year other than those first two games. But it's just it's a lot of everything in Philly. It's just a lot of everything, and I I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't but know as you laid
0: that out, because I mean, you you literally laid it out very cut and dried. And, um, and I mean, man, is that this is turnover number telling about how effective he's or lack of effectiveness he's had in the postseason versus the regular season. But then is the hypothesis, will you just be running from your problems, Joel? And you need you to be almost, better you to almost get went, that championship?
1: You almost went run from the grind. You almost, you almost, uh,
0: <laughs> hashtag run from the grind. Uh, or, solution that you just get a little bit better and it's really 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 hard to win a ring in this league and you need a lot of luck and you need a lot of work and you need a lot of camaraderie and are you doing absolutely everything you can to maximize uh, the, the areas where you can control obviously luck you know injuries and stuff sometimes out of your control um, I don't know and you know I, I do think though This is something we need to be talking about because we have spent, as folks who cover the league, um, the better part of the last month, having the conversation about Dame Lillard uh, as being, you know, the biggest piece that's out there that can affect how the chase to the championship looks next year. But, you know, even with everything you just said... (laughs) Joel well, Embiid is going to affect uh, winning uh, far more, in my opinion, wherever he goes, if he does go somewhere than Damon Lillard would.
1: Well, I don't, I mean, that's a debate for another day. I And to be clear, like, I don't think there's any immediacy to any of this. Like, I, I, I think the Sixers have this season at least with Embiid, but that could change on a dime. okay your actual beat is the los yeah. angeles lakers and i thought it would be fun to talk about them because they're winners on the free agency winners and losers columns and podcasts all over the place um now everything's mostly done um and and when we name them winners just kind of like list the names like oh gabe vincent torian prince austin reeves comes back on a great deal they drafted you know. A couple of guys that may contribute. They get Cam Reddish, blah, blah. Let's talk about the actual team. Like, how good is this team going to be? What do they look like on paper? And where do they go from here? D'Angelo Russell brought back, Hachimura brought back. Um, I think this team's going to be really good. I think what they did in the last 30, 40 games of the season and in the playoffs was, was pretty legit. And the single biggest reason why was Austin Reeves. Austin Reeves became. If not quite a certified member of a certifiable big three, almost. Um, and one of the stats of the season for the Lakers is Reeves, LeBron, Davis, regular season, plus 14 and a half points per 100 possessions, plus 149 total points in 390 minutes, 390. They played more minutes together in the playoffs as a trio than they did in the regular season. So the single Absol- biggest reason, stuff. the single biggest reason for optimism that the Lakers have something going with this continuity, with this group, with this style of play is those three guys together are really, really good. And they have only started to scratch the surface of what they can do mm-hmm. together. Um, I will just open the floor to you. What interests you about this team going into the season If you are optimistic that they can compete with Denver and Phoenix and Golden State and Sacramento and Memphis and whoever else you want to put toward the top of an absolutely loaded Western Conference with LeBron approaching 39 years old, Anthony Davis, sometimes injured, sometimes healthy, sometimes injured again. Um, What is your reason for optimism? What's interesting to you?
0: Well, I am optimistic about this group, uh, but I'll just start with a conversation that I've, I had with a couple folks. Um, you know, w- one person attached to the team, others uh, longtime people in the league who find there to be some merit and legitimacy to this this thought process is the alchemy of last year's group when they went in that. Twenty-four game stretch, eighteen and six prior to getting swept in the Western Conference Final. You had this intense shared purpose of not only okay games, so you have the chance to make the play-in tournament. So that was one level of pressure. Then for uh, basically half of the rotation in Austin Reeves and D'Angelo Russell and Rui Hachimura it's play well enough to justify getting a big payday this summer. There's another big ingredient to what the group was going through. Then you have Ham, uh, who I don't think his motivation will ever waver, knowing him for as long as I've known him. But again, him looking to make up for how he stumbled out of the gates uh, to begin his first coaching job in the league, starting off two and ten. And LeBron, who at all-star break in salt lake city said this is the most important stretch of my career coming up and almost immediately has to go out of the lineup uh for 13 games with a foot injury and so when he gets back he is trying to push the pedal to the metal um for the duration and see how far he can take them so all those elements were working in their favor right up until they met the best team in the league. And even then, you know, again, it's a sweep, is a sweep. I'm not trying to uh, change history here, but it was a very competitive series against the Denver Nuggets. You take away a lot of those ingredients, and it's a group, you know, playing even from the start out of the gates. And it's a bunch of young players who have now been paid. Um, Can they capture that kind of uh, thrust and, and that intensity that was such a big part of their success. Um, I think it's possible, but that element I don't think should be overlooked when we look back at what they were able to accomplish last year.
1: You just gave them what Tim McMahon has coined, the bronze broom, I think, award for the competitive sweep. I like that from Tim McMahon. Howdy, partner. Um Strikes me that we probably should have led with the quote-unquote news that LeBron is not retiring. I think that (laughs) happened over the weekend at the ESPYs. Um, bad, Bad formatting by me. Should have been the top of the podcast. LeBron, arguably the greatest player in the world, not retiring after hinting that he had a lot to think about. No one really thought retirement was a real possibility, but I guess now we can formally say LeBron James will be returning for... The last guaranteed season on his current Los Angeles Lakers contract,
0: yeah, I mean, I, I think the series against Denver ended on Monday. I spoke to LeBron on the way out of the arena, and, and yeah, he told me that he'd be con- contemplating retirement, but the end of that conversation, that brief conversation we had was, well, I'm still better than ninety or ninety five percent of the league right now. So it didn't sound like a guy was going to retire. and then I reported four days later, uh according to his horse close to LeBron that he would be fulfilling his contract for the the upcoming season. So yeah, not a shock whatsoever. I I thought it was interesting though, just to hear the mindset. Um, He sounds like someone who's pretty refreshed and is looking forward to the challenge already with about two months to go versus the last two seasons. Uh, It was a lot. Um, And again, (laughs) anyone can say, and I would may agree with you or even join the chorus that uh, when it's a lot, LeBron brings a lot on himself too, um, just by who he is and sometimes intentionally. He's a guy who says he is most comfortable being uncomfortable. And and I think he sometimes introduces situations to the teams that are on to test them and sometimes just to so he doesn't get bored <laughs> throughout the course of a season. Um, but listen, I mean, look, I know... Modern sports science is different than it was for players in, in you know, decades past in this league. And I, I know, you know, the amount of compensation these guys uh, are, are paid that they can afford to, you know, invest in their bodies the, the way that LeBron has. But, I mean, you look at the guys who have played in year 21. I think there's been five guys prior uh, to him. He's going to be number six. And it's Dirk and it's Kevin Willis and it's Robert Parrish and it's Vince Carter and um uh, I guess I'm forgetting a name here. The, the they average like eight points per game. L- LeBron assumed that the foot heals uh the right way, and Rob Palinka said as much that, that he's heard all good things about that being something he can put behind him going into next year. Maybe he's gonna average twenty plus. He's gonna average, you know. Five and five, if not better numbers, like he always does. Uh, and he will be the, you know, many nights the best player and many other nights the second best player uh, after Anthony Davis on a team that's going to be 10 for a title. Uh, and we are so, I guess, numb to what he accomplishes that the numbers don't speak for themselves sometimes because I guess – Sometimes distance make the heart grow fonder, and, and he he doesn't allow us a lot of distance. LeBron James stays in the zeitgeist as much as possible, but he's he's going to continue to be one of the guys that matters. And so long as the Lakers can, you know, have some injury luck on their side and get into the, the playoffs, you know, fifth seed in the West or better, they're going to have a real shot uh, to make a run, just like they did this past year.
1: Who's more comfortable being uncomfortable? Daryl Morey or LeBron James? Daryl Morey. Yeah, how many times have we heard, oh, Daryl Morey loves being uncomfortable? I like being comfortable. I don't want to be uncomfortable. I don't like being uncomfortable on planes. I don't like being you know, uncomfortable. I, I like being comfortable. I just want to be comfortable. I want everything to be fine. I don't like this idea of See, people like I think to be you, uncomfortable. You,
0: you have a uh, compartmentalized feeling for that because the way you treat your work, like you put in – a long hours that's not comfortable you, you because you have a standard of what you want to be able to produce so that's you know I think always see, seeking comfort is, is that's not the Zach Lowe I know all right
1: fair enough um, by the way you mentioned the, the money this is just a total aside and, and a conversation I had with that just came up organically quite a bit in Vegas and just that the, the, the salaries that the players are making and that they can afford to invest like LeBron does you know Zion was talking about this too we are I think people are starting to like realize I don't want to say sticker shock, but as the cap goes up, like we're not far from a guy's making $70 million a year. Not even that far. At some not, point not far
0: from lo- a million dollars a game.
1: There at some point in our lives covering the league, there will be a hundred million dollar per year player. Damian Lillard is already on the books for twenty twenty seven at sixty three point three million and I always go back to something my dad told me when I was a little sports fan, Zach. Like, and and it started to be a thing. Like, oh my God, a player makes million. a million dollars. Player makes five million dollars. It's like he told me back then, Zach. Here's this big pool of money in sports. Who do you want to get it? The guys you like watching play sports, or these like rich billionaire dudes you don't even know? Like, that's the choice. And I think a lot of fans can do do that calculus in their head of like, okay, so so so-and-so is making $80 million a year. That's crazy. But we know that there's this pool of money. They're dividing it this way. But I do think um, players, agents, unions, team executives are kind of just like, Racing for the optics of that and how that's going to, as the disparity between what regular people make and what the best players make just continues to widen and widen and widen. What does that mean for the NBA? I haven't really thought about that. I hadn't really thought about it because I just, it's 51% of BRI divided by this 35% of the cap. Like it's just sort of a mechanical part of my life, but I live it every day. I'm not a fan who wakes up one day and is like, wait, this dude makes $87 million this year. It is going to be like Almost strange in a way.
0: Adrian Wojnarowski reported on some of the details of Jalen Brown's potential Supermax extension with Boston, and it will reach north of 70 million uh, should it come to agreement at the at the numbers that it could uh, land upon. And I I saw that 70 million number ripple throughout social media. That already grabbed people's attention. When it's 82 and above, it's going to be only more pronounced, and it will come down to The idea, in my opinion, that a player missing a regular season game and getting paid a million dollars to do so when he's quote-unquote healthy will be seen as highway robbery. And I I think a couple things need to be adjusted here in the sport so that does not turn off potential consumers and fans and viewers and readers and listeners and everything else uh, people come to be a part of the NBA world as – one, and Adam Silver's already trying to do this, you incentivize the regular season so that the regular season matters. Uh, and and whether that be you need to play in 68 games or more, or was it 65 games or more to uh, qualify for postseason awards, whether that be uh, you want to participate in the in-season tournament because there's a, a half a million dollar cash prize waiting for the team who wins it at the end per player, um, These are things that are are put into place in order to hopefully get players to treat the regular season with more pride and then recognize that you're going to be a good steward of what it means to be an NBA player and appreciate those fans who spend their hard work, hard earned money to go see you play by playing regular season games. And then the second part would be, and this is, I don't know if this will ever debride itself so long as we talk about the sport the way we talk about it, but <laughs> the Finals MVP trophy is named after Bill Russell, who won eleven rings. The universally kind of heralded guy um, as the goat is Michael Jordan, who was six for six in the NBA Finals, winning six rings. There's so much emphasis on having your team and and you know your best players ready to go at their top form for the postseason that you'll sacrifice a regular season period. In order to get there, and you'll take whatever you know uh, backlash that may come if you believe that you are following a track that you're better positioned to hoist the Larry O'Brien Trophy in June. Like that is going to remain a rock and a hard place as player salaries ex- escalate. And I don't know what do we want. Like what? What do TV networks want? Right? Uh, I, theoretically, you know, when you get the the big numbers in the playoff. Uh, you know, uh, and t- television viewership—that's where the the next TV contract spikes anyway. So, do, do, does anyone really, really, really want the regular season to be treated like balls to the wall?
1: Well, and so I don't want to get too far into this, but part of this is like part of the deal you 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 make when you sign a contract is that you play, and we're going to maybe see some scenarios and we already have with Ben Simmons of of guys not playing and that's going to be a big issue going forward. It's like I keep saying it with Dame like part of the deal you made when you signed the extension is you don't get to dictate everything. I still think he ends up in Miami. He's totally within his rights to have his agents try to get him to Miami. That's all part of the game. Mm -hmm. But you are not free and clear to do whatever the heck you want because you signed a contract. Um, Also, we in the media are not just like, passive recipients and bystanders and all this like it's on us to like hashtag rings with a z like the media is partly at fault for that um if we are on tv segments in three years where the host is like hundred million dollars so and so is not worth that it's incumbent on us even if it's boring to be like yo okay here's the salary cap here's why this guy's making this amount of money this is just what it is anyway uh lakers Hard pivot back to the Lakers. Um, <laughs> if all this player movement and drama and Lillard and blah, 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 Anthony Davis is eligible for an extension in August. Not much murmuring about that. Uh, maybe because everyone just kind of assumes the parties will agree to a deal. What should we be looking for there?
0: Yeah, so come August 4th, AD is eligible for a extension of three years, $167 million. He has a one-plus-one deal currently right now. He's under contract for next season, his player option the following year. Uh Listen, I asked Rob Plink about it on the record. He cited the CBA and, and didn't want to begin negotiations before they're officially allowed, even though it's his own player. I feel like the league is generally, like, okay about that type of stuff. But if he wants to follow the, letter of the law, that that's fine. Uh Anthony Davis, in Rob, as Rob's estimation, is someone that, He has represented the Lakers really well. Uh, He cited how he played through his foot injury last year as was a major reason why they won a championship in 2020, and he wants to continue to have Anthony Davis as a Laker. So no alarm bells went off. And then, of course, you circle back with people who know not when there's the microphone and camera in their face. And uh, I, I am not too concerned about how this thing plays out, whether the max amount of years the max amount of numbers are reached Uh, that remains to be seen. That will be figured out between Rich Paul and Rob Palenka and Jeannie Buss and the like, but uh, where things stand right now, I, I expect some sort of agreement to be reached. And a lot of it is one recognizing that Anthony Davis as a trade chip, there's no way you can replicate the value of what he brings to the court combined with LeBron James when he's healthy. It just, you won't it's, It's absolutely impossible. You also recognize that LeBron turning 39 years old, entering year 21 as a limited window. Uh, So then to try to coalesce with a a new group, if you were to find this beautiful trade for Anthony Davis, uh, that's, that's folly. You could be wasting what's left of LeBron. And then beyond that, listen, we know the business of this league, no extension offered. What do you do? You apply pressure the other way and say, I want out. So, I, I I'm I'm fairly confident that uh, Anthony Davis will be coming into training camp an extended deal.
1: I thought Anthony Davis was the best defensive player of the playoffs in the entire NBA. Um, bam out of bio, maybe had an argument too, but. I think to go back to – let's just, let's assume all is copacetic on the AD front. To go back to what this team is and what it has to be to compete with the Nuggets who lost Bruce Brown. I'm going to talk more about that with Mike Schwartz shortly. To compete with the Suns who are loaded or loaded up at least and finagled some picks over the weekend with some trades that we'll talk about. Um, as long as Anthony Davis is playing and healthy, I think the Lakers are going to be a good defensive team. They were a great defensive team last year. We'll see if they can replicate great. Um, they, they got a little lucky with opponent three-point shooting, but they are rock-solid rebounding team, rock-solid rim protection team. They don't foul. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that they nail defensively, and AD is just a monster. Um, Reeves is a solid defensive player, and LeBron, people kind of focus on effort level and how he's slowed down and all that. He's still 6'9", and huge and people are scared of him and he's always in the right place at the right time I actually still think he's probably a slight net plus defensively not on the days when he's just sort of like all right it's a back-to-back I got a coast here like when it actually matters I think he's still a net plus defensively we know those three dudes are going to start they're going to play a ton of minutes together that's a solid defensive trio if the other two starters are D'Angelo Russell and Rui Hachimura and if I had to put money on it now, I would put money on that as the Lakers opening night starting five. You know, D'Lo is a liability on defense and Rui's okay. I thought Rui made strides last year in every kind of area of his game. Toughness, defense, rebounding, all of it. Um, I still think that that lineup will be a good defensive lineup. That obviously moves Vanderbilt into a bench role instead of like a starting five defensive stopper role. Um you could argue that Gabe Vincent should start a point guard over D'Angelo Russell. I don't I, I, I mean, actually there's not that much of a gap in their salaries. They're, I mean, I guess seven million is a, a decent gap, but you know, D'Lo is kind of has the incumbency factor going for them. But I, I think defensively this team's going to be solid. The question I have, which is bizarre to ask, is on the other end of the floor, but before we get there, what's your best prediction for their starting five? at opening night regular season? do Or do you care? Does this even matter?
0: No, I mean, I care because it is an indication of what direction they're going. Now, I will say this. Last year, Darvin Ham said, I'm the type of coach, I like to find a five and go with it. And they had something like 36 different starting lineups throughout the year. Now, a lot of that was out of Darvin's control. And obviously, they made major trades leading up to the trade deadline. So that factored into it as well. But uh my point being and sharing that is not to dunk on darvin it's to say that even if a coach has that kind of view of how things should be done a lot of things happen over the course of a season so any laker fan that sees one lineup for the first game of the preseason or even opening night recognize that there'll be many permutations here but i'm not so sure uh about rui starting over vando i think it really depends nor am on... i to nor am i to be clear
1: i'm just i'm just being like best guess that's it
0: right um i think it depends on how much ad gets his wish here and and this is i think another sign of why i'm confident about both sides coming to an agreement on extension is you know anthony davis has been pounding the drum ever since he arrived in la that that he doesn't like to uh, max out his minutes at the five his body takes a beating he likes having a big next to him for rim protection purposes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They won the championship with big bodies and JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard. Uh, The team not only listened to him in the acquisition of Jackson Hayes, uh, but made sure it was known that they listened to him. Uh, In the the comments made by Darvin Ham and Rob Palinka to various reporters and various outlets, myself included, that this was wanting to replicate kind of the lineup they had in 2020 in order to appease uh, Anthony Davis and make him feel good. So there is a chance that uh, with, you know, their re-upped committal to him with an extension this summer, it includes, hey, I want to see that other lineup again. So you could very well see Jackson Hayes, AD. uh, And then I think if you go there, you know, it's, it's Austin at the three. LeBron, and, or LeBron at three, I guess, Austin at two, and probably D'Lo, but Gabe Vincent uh, will get a chance at some point this year. And they got really good depth. And if someone like a Max Christie can break mm-hmm. through, he's going to uh, get a shot. Th- th- there's, there's a wild card in terms of their growth that's un- unexpected. If Cam Reddish can kind of do a little bit of, of what we saw with, say, Malik Monk when he came to the Lakers a couple of years ago off the of Charlotte and hadn't quite lived up to the promise of his talent, and they got their hands on him, and all of a sudden he, he looks like the guy who was so highly touted coming out of Kentucky, in this case, Reddish coming out of Duke. There's a chance there. Um Or just like the marginal upgrades, something like Torian Green, Uh, being marginally better than Troy Brown Jr. who got a ton of minutes for the Lakers last year. like There's all sorts of ways that they got better so long as we don't see a drop-off from LeBron and and AD stays on the court. Um, So, you know, again, I'll go with – it would not shock me if we saw Jackson Hayes as a starting center to open up the season to see how that looks. Wow. And then you – but – you know that doesn't mean that you're not going to see Anthony Davis playing center in the fourth quarter. You know that's that's winning time.
1: I mean, Jackson Hayes has shown glimpses as a switch defender. Um, I I just can I I just don't know. I I don't want that. I'm 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 going. I don't know. What if we'll AD see.
0: wants it though, Zach? What if AD wants it?
1: Yeah, that's cool. He can keep beating the drum. I want to like do what the heavy metal bands do after the concert and just like destroy the drum and throw it on the floor and smash it and never see it again.
0: Um, what's the, what's the last like, heavy metal concert you've been to, Zach? You don't know what I do. No, no. It's been quite
1: <laughs> It's been a while. Um, it's been a while. Uh Yeah, sure. Um, why not sign Tristan Thompson play Jackson Hayes at the 3? And, uh, and, and, you know, maybe – maybe uh, is there any other centers we can sign? Anyway, look, the chips are down. AD's playing to five. And maybe you can finagle the matchup so Vander – like how they had Rui guarding Jokic and so AD can be a- – so he doesn't have to take the banging and he can be a rover. Like there, there are ways to do it. Um, you mentioned Torian Prince. I-, I like the idea of like a point-Reeves lineup if you want size and defense. Like Reeves, Prince, LeBron, Rui, AD. I, I kind of like mm-hmm. that kind of group. I think Torian Prince would be a good, a good player for the team. But, like, look, here's the deal with the Lakers. They were 15th in offense after the rush trade. So they really made their bones on defense. They were top three defense. They were 19th in half-court offense for the regular season, 12th in half-court offense for the playoffs out of, you know, 16, 18 teams, if you count the play-in teams, whatever it is. Um, and if you look at – now, this is this – is, it's hard to know how much it is to chalk up to the foot injury. But LeBron's pick-and-roll volume reached career-low levels by far in the playoffs. Total pick-and-rolls, this is according to Second Spectrum. And the LeBron AD pick-and-roll, despite AD playing huge minutes at the 5, despite Vanderbilt kind of fading out of the starting lineup and then out of the rotation to the fringes of the rotation as the Denver series wore on, opening up the court, the LeBron AD pick-and-roll just wasn't enough of a thing. They only ran 10 per 100 possessions in the playoffs, which is extremely, extremely low, and it was not effective when they ran it. And LeBron's going to be 39, and obviously this roster with Russell and Vincent and Reeves is designed, at least in the regular season, to siphon a lot of the ball handling, not a lot, but some of the ball handling, more than ever in LeBron's career, away from LeBron. But to me, that's the biggest question. I think this team's going to be a very good defensive team. Their offense just wasn't good enough quite good enough to be elite 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 in terms of where they were on the championship pecking order i think they need to get a little bit better offensively and i think they have the juice to do it like they've got some shooting they've got more ball handling they signed some good offensive players around lebron and ad and and again to me reeves all this noise the most important thing that happened to them is austin reeves and if he has another level to hit and i believe you probably saw darvin you may have written about it darvin ham proclaimed that he's thinks he's going to make an all-star team at some point in his career. Maybe it's just as simple as like, does Reeves have another leap in him? But that, the question to me is just, can they squeeze enough offense out of the group? Because I'm confident in the defense.
0: That might've been in my story. I think about the all-star proclamation from Darman Ham. So yeah, I mean, listen, uh, we'll see if Austin Reeves gets the USA oomph, you know, 25 year old being part of USA basketball. That's, uh, voted quite well for other players in the league over the last 10 years since USA Basketball cleaned up its act. last 20 years almost at this point. Uh, and certainly uh, everyone from the analytics folks who work for the Lakers down through the front office and and the coaching staff, they recognize having the ball in Austin Reeves' hands is, is a great thing for this team. It, you know, Rob Blinken told me during the playoffs that part of their analysis ahead of making their trades at the trade deadline and parting ways with russell westbrook was seeing how effective that uh, that austin Reeves was with the ball in his hands now albeit far limited opportunities compared to post-trade deadline but they thought that was enough of the sample size to encourage them to you know pull the band-aid off on westbrook and thrust him into that role and he's a tremendous decision maker He gets to the free throw line, and that that is such a trickle-down effect uh, helping a team. You get into a team's bench because they had to take a guy out of the lineup when they get two or three fouls. And um, then you sometimes have a talent gap in the players you're going up against. And certainly uh, when you have a 39-year-old as one of your best players, it gives (laughs) you a couple extra seconds to catch your breath over the course of a game, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And he's someone who – You know, there's a lot of guys who play hard in a league, but when he plays hard, he's animated about it. And there seems to be some sort of, uh, you know, it's infectious uh, with this Lakers group, uh, the way he approaches the game. So he is, I don't know if it's a big three, but he is vital to this team's success now. But we have to recognize that, you know, he had – Hamstring and shoulder stuff the last two years where he missed chunks of time. Now the Lakers addressed their depth. Um, I, I don't think they would, you know, fall into the tank if Foster Reeves had injury coming up this year. But that's I think the next challenge for him is to continue to work on his body. Uh, you know, I've had people in the organization tell me like we just got to get him on the Caruso plan. And you saw what Alex Caruso went in the time he was with the Lakers to the time he went to the Bulls. His body completely transformed and. Austin Reeves certainly has the work ethic and the love of the game to do so. Uh, I do think there's there's more levels for his game to reach.
1: Oh yeah, he's still super young. He's confident. He's good with the ball, rangy. Like he'll get better. To me, Reeves, LeBron, Davis. We know that's those are the three most important players on the team. It's it's too early to really project too too much, but I, I will say like all the continuity talk. All this like Lakers winners in free agency. This goes for any team. There's a there's a, a tendency I think to to say okay, it's July 17th, the Lakers have their team. Like all of these contracts, for to leave those three guys aside: Reeves, LeBron, and AD. All these other contracts are tradable. There's no, and that's not an accident. There's no guarantee that this is the team on whatever the day after the trade deadline is in February. And that could be a small change or it could be a big change, but those contracts being where they are in terms of length and money is not an accident. And one should not assume that this is the team and the Lakers are set. And this is how it's going to go.
0: Yeah, they still have the 2029 first round pick. They still have the 2030 first round pick and use one of those two. We'll see if, you know, Jalen hood is a player that they use on the court for themselves or someone that that some other team out there would have interest in. They still have about a million and a half left over the mid-level exception um, from the Gabe Vincent deal that they'll be able to use um, potentially in the buyout market in March. There are ways for them uh, to get better than again. You know, they are, there are some amenable contracts, um, you know, a former all-star and D'Angelo Russell, if, if he looks more like he did in the Denver series than he did the rest of the time he was a Laker, that's not too hard of a, a number to swallow that you could attach a draft pick to um, or second round or whatever it may be in order to to find another $20 million player out there. So they are both uh, – accomplished. I mean, they've accomplished a lot. It, it's, they're trying to thread the needle between win now without, without – sacrificing all your future while remaining nimble should something come up and that's what they are right now. And it's a good place to be.
1: Yeah, they did a nice job. Um, They did a nice job where they fall in the championship pecking order. I'll talk a little bit about uh, now with Mike Schwartz as we hit the suns. Uh, Dave McMenamin. Thank you, sir. Um, Enjoy LA. Hopefully you get a little downtime soon and you are recovered from Las Vegas. Dave McMenamin, everybody.
0: Zach, you go be comfortable somewhere. Oh god, I need to be. Thanks Dave. <laughs> That's it.
1: For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call or click granger.com or just stop by. Because of the eBay motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. All right, let's switch gears and talk about another Western Conference contender. The Phoenix Suns, wheeling and dealing, made another trade. Over the weekend. Yet another pick swap. I think the Suns are on a mission. To concoct a 30 team pick swap. Where there's one pick. And every team gets a shot at it. One to 30. They have now bifurcated. All four pick swaps. That they traded the Wizards. And the Bradley Beal mega deal campaign is gone. Six second round picks. Have come in the door. In two separate trades. In which they've traded pick swap rights. And uh, boy oh boy. Mike Schwartz. ESPN research guru, lifelong Suns fan. It feels like yesterday we were talking about the feel-good Phoenix Suns making the 2021 Finals. I let you do the intro to the podcast. It yep. was Chris Paul chasing the first ring with this rest of this sort of homegrown, feel-good, plucky, younger team. And with the trade of Cameron Payne to the San Antonio Spurs, which the Suns will want it framed this way, it is a salary dump. They dumped campaign salary. The second round pick that is coming back to them is more or less a fake second round pick that they almost certainly will not get. The only two players left from that team
2: that is 2 years old are Devin Booker and DeAndre Aiden. Mr. Schwartz, how are you? I'm doing great. And you know, if if you don't have any assets, you've got to materialize them. So, it's kind of interesting that They were able to basically get six second round picks out of thin air, which should be useful as the team looks to make more moves. They got a six point five million dollar trade exception in the campaign trade. They have a five million trade exception, a million dollar trade exception from the Dario Shards trade at last year's trade deadline. And now they have some stuff to include in in those trades. Here are the seconds they have received in these two trades. One of them was with
1: Memphis working two pick swaps into their 2024 first-round pick that Dale Washington and their 2030 first-round pick, Dale Washington. So Phoenix essentially goes last in line on a three-team pick swap of Wizards, Grizzlies, Suns. They got a Grizzlies 28 and 29 seconds and a Pelicans 25 second. And then in these Orlando trade – by the way, bull, bull! Yeah. Anyway, in the Orlando trade over the weekend where they – bifurcated their 2026 first round pick with a swap that goes washington orlando phoenix they got the nuggets 2024 second round pick which stinks the worst of 2026 seconds of detroit orlando milwaukee and tbd and boston's 2028 second only if it is 46 to 60 so we are not talking about golden ticket second round picks that could end up being number 31 or 32 or 33 we're talking about a bunch of poop second round picks but if you can if you congeal enough poop together you can make something Mm -hmm. out of it and that's what the Suns are hoping for and bowl bowl and with that they have 15 guys on their roster uh ish wainwright is non-guaranteed i believe jordan goodwin is also non-guaranteed uh he will be on the team next year my point being this campaign trade combined with the trade exceptions and all the second round picks is all designed to, if we can get a decent player at the trade deadline for a 2, 3, four, five seconds, we're going to get him. Um, Mike Schwartz, I think that there's an air of skepticism around the Phoenix Suns, the 23-24 Phoenix Suns, for a number of reasons. They have now ended their last three seasons losing four straight finals games and Mm -hmm. then twice in a row getting blown out on their home court in embarrassing game six losses. There is the lingering image of a bunch of overmatched role players missing open threes against the Denver Nuggets that the Nuggets were just thrilled that they were all taking. There is the lingering um, distaste of the DeAndre and Monty Williams relationship and the knowledge that, yes, the Suns investigated DeAndre Ayton trades, the skepticism that that situation is really salvageable despite Frank Vogel's endless optimism about everything. And I also just think that that, and then the notion that there's just too much overlapping skill sets between Beal and Booker and Beal is going to take away from what Booker does best. Do we really want to have the ball in Beal's hands all the time? And just sort of like we haven't seen Brad Beal in a big game in like over half a decade, the, the, the sense that he's kind of been putting up empty calories numbers in Washington. All of this is combined to kind of create this air of it's Denver and then it's just everybody else. And yeah, maybe Phoenix is at the top of everybody else, but it's really everybody else. And I'm here to tell you, Mike Schwartz, I think the Suns are being underrated. I think this team is going to be awesome. I love what they did with their minimum deals. And I would put them atop that pile of everyone else above the Lakers, above the Warriors, above the Clippers, not emphatically, but I would do it. And I think they're going to be better than people think. What say you?
2: Yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, I think the big thing that people talk about is the overlapping skill sets with the three stars, KD, Booker, and Brad Beal. But I look at it a little bit differently. I think that when KD came, we got a much better version of Devin Booker, particularly as a playmaker. He went up to seven assists a game from about five. Then in the playoffs, he stayed at seven assists a game. Um, His scoring was out of this world, obviously putting up around over 30 points per game in the playoffs. And he was getting some of the easiest shots that I've seen him get, especially in the regular season. Obviously, in the playoffs, they were trapping the hell out of him and uh, making him take really tough shots but um, during that 8-0 run during the regular season, remember this team has not lost a regular season game with Kevin Durant in the lineup yet. Um, Those two were really unstoppable, and that was without a third player like Bradley Beal, who I think during my previous podcast visits, it feels like every time we talk about how the Suns don't get to the free throw line enough, they don't get enough rim pressure. Now you add Brad Beal. Who is one of the better guys in the league at that? Um, I think that yes, it's it's three scores. Like I understand why people would be worried about them being duplicative, but I see it more as enhancing. I mean, we live in a positionless basketball world, right? We've been talking about that for years now. Um, I don't think it matters that there's not really a true point guard. And that there's some um overlap in the scoring. I think these guys are good enough all around players that it's really gonna work.
1: Yeah, the lack of a point guard on paper is interesting. Yeah. I don't think the Suns care. Yeah. Um they view Booker and then Beal and then Durant probably in that order as their point guards. It worries me a little bit that they don't have like an A plus passer anywhere yeah. on the team, but but not but not that much. Um and, you know, I I think the overlapping skill sets, if you're going to simplify it, really boils down to this. Um, we saw in that Denver series, the Nuggets dropped back against Chris Paul pick and rolls before Chris got hurt. And they did that very intentionally to bait Chris into dominating the ball and shooting a lot of long twos, precisely so that Booker and Durant were not as involved in the offense as perhaps the Nuggets feared them to be. Yeah, And I think... Um, the fear with Beale that the skeptics have is well, first of all, he's gonna he, he's probably gonna be the smallest guy in their starting five. I'm guessing Kata Bates Diop will be the missing fifth starter, or it could yeah. be a Kogi, it could be any number of people, but let's pencil in Bates Diop who's six eight or six nine, I think. He'll have Beal will have point guards on him, so he'll have the smallest defender on him. And I, I think the sort of fear is he will become the de facto number one ball handler too often and therefore take away from what Booker and Durant do best rendering Booker, like a secondary ball handler. And then Durant just like running around doing stuff that will happen at times, but I am not actually worried about that. I think that's a, uh, a problem that the players and the coaches can work out amongst themselves. And before we dig into the specifics of it, I think one of the things that excites me about the roster is the versatility of all three of the main guys, um, the size that they will be able to play with. They don't seem like a big team, but that starting lineup is 6'4", 6'5", 6'8", 6'11", yeah. seven foot. Um, and part of the solution, I think, will be the versatility, mixing up who does what and where, and also the speed with which they operate, both in in transition. And we saw as soon as Chris got hurt, they amped up the pace. And I think the half court, things will flow faster and with a little bit more variety. And what will come out in the wash, I think, is a top three offense in the NBA. I would be very surprised if this team was not one of the very, very best offenses in the NBA, if not the best. Yeah. Assuming health, as always. Well, look, I mean, that's... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Assuming health, I understand Beale has missed a lot of games. Um, he's still not as big a health risk as Chris Paul, who gets hurt in the playoffs literally every single year almost. Yeah. Um, but what do you, what do you, I mean, offensively, do you have any. I mean, the depth, sure. I, are we counting on debates, Bates Deops and the Eric Gordons, who's... Uh, I'm I'm happy to count on Eric Gordon, but Josh Akogi, Yuta Watanabe, Drew Eubanks. Like, are we counting on those guys for real minutes? Sure. Every team is counting on guys like that for real minutes. When push comes to shove, they're going to have two of Beal, Booker, and Durant on the floor all the time in the yeah. games that matter. So offensively, like we can talk about how it might look stylistically, but I don't have any worries that what's going to come out is not going to be like a top three offense.
2: Yeah. And I think the the biggest addition of the summer was Eric Gordon, because he gives them that bona fide floor spacer, not just from the three point line, but from way beyond the three point line to 30 feet. He's one of the league leaders in 30 uh, foot shots every year. And I think if you put the Suns big four with DeAndre Ayton, we haven't really talked about too much yet as the the role man with the three stars and then Eric Gordon, and which I think should be their closing lineup um, pending what you need defensively. Uh, I just don't see how you defend that because you kind of need to be helping off that fifth player um, as we saw Denver do throughout the playoffs. And if it's Eric Gordon drilling threes from way beyond the line, that's just too much spacing uh, for how good the three stars are.
1: All three of the stars are Very good at coming off screens, off the ball, at a high speed, catching the ball, and going right into a pick and roll. And that's not something that Chris, at his age and his size, was really able to do. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what I mean by versatility. You can throw the puzzle pieces around any way you want. You can run a Booker-Aiton high screen where Aiton rolls down and sets a pin down for Beal coming off the left wing. And he catches the ball on the move. And one of the things I looked up, Beal actually sets a lot of ball screens. Hmm. He set, for, for a star guard, he set like seven per hundred possessions last year in Washington, which was a career high. And if he's going to have the littlest defender on him, I want to see Booker Beal, Durant Beal, inverted pick and rolls. He set, he set ball screens for Porzingis last year here hmm. and there. And you can get switches out of that, and both Durant and Booker can play bully ball. Another thing Beal likes to do is set a ball screen for anybody and then have Aiton kind of on the other side of that ball screen for Beal to flare around, catch the ball on the move and go. You can just build infinite combinations out of this with stuff happening on both sides of the floor with Aiton as kind of a screening fulcrum. And sure, D.A. may not be thrilled to be described (laughs) as a screening fulcrum. Sorry, buddy. These other three dudes are on your team. All of this is a long way of saying because of Beal's ability as a screen setter. And if you watch, I watched a bunch of his screens today. He's really good at actually screening, slipping toward the foul line in that Draymond spot. He's nowhere near Draymond as a playmaker, let me be clear. And making plays from there, like, I'm just not really worried about I don't think they're going to fall into a trap of, oh, Brad Beal is doing too much at the expense of Devin Booker and Kevin Durant.
2: Yeah, I agree. I'm not worried about that at all. Um, I think you're going to have a dual ball handler attack. Um, like you said, Booker first, Beal second, KD third. And I think there's going to be enough playmaking that you don't really need a traditional playmaker. Um, and with with all the size and shooting, I agree completely. It's going to be a top three offense. Now, defense is where it gets interesting. And that's why you hire Frank Vogel, who's basically been a top five defense uh, more often than not he's been uh, I think a top three defense like five times in his career and I think it's it's kind of like okay th- these guys you just roll out the ball these guys are going to be a top three offense um, now Vogel what can you do with the defense
1: so and that's where Ayton becomes the most important figure absolutely. on the absolutely um, by the end of last season he was completely out of sorts defensively yeah, he had reverted back to making some mistakes of timing and positioning that he was making as a rookie. When it was like, is that a blooper? Like, did he not understand what was happening there? Abandoning the ball way too early, not helping on the ball at all—just stuff that left you thinking, like, is he just completely checked out of the game, checked out of the team, checked out of the franchise? And he might have been. It, yeah. And it got to the point where like Jock Landale was just a better option than DeAndre Ayton. And the Suns are not going to be able to win the West and win the championship if at any point in the playoffs for multiple games at a time, Drew Eubanks or Chemezi Metu is yeah. a, or, or Durant at center, which is, I think, a look they may try here and there, well, they will try here and there, becomes a better option than DeAndre Ayton. They're going to need his size and rebounding and defense. And look, he knows they looked at trading him. He We'd all know that the relationship really fell apart. And now they all have to come back and repair it. And I think Frank Vogel is like, it's not smoke. This dude loves coaching centers. He made Roy Hibbert, helped make Roy Hibbert into a thing. And their roadmap to a good defense to me is tons of switching one to four and DeAndre on the back line, defending in different ways, depending on who the opponent is. And if that one piece isn't there and falls away, I don't know that they're going to be able to build like a top 12 to 13 defense.
2: Yeah, I agree. And particularly in the playoffs against Nikola Jokic, um, it was weird, especially look back two years ago when the Suns did make the run to the finals he was one of the key parts. He was incredibly engaged. He was putting up all-time numbers uh, of shooting efficiency, um, combined with some pretty solid defense going through uh, Anthony Davis, obviously Jokic, when two years ago, uh, of course, Denver had uh, Jamal Murray injured, and that wasn't quite this Denver team, but he did a nice job on Jokic straight up. Um, And then, of course, in in the finals, he was the only guy who had a prayer of slowing down Giannis obviously he didn't all the time um they need that engaged high motor Aiton and um obviously the the dude was drafted in 2018 so uh, we've we've seen a lot of him um motor's kind of an interesting thing because he's just a guy who has an inconsistent motor he even as a someone who watched him at Arizona the motor was inconsistent then um I, I don't know how you coach that I don't know if it's as simple as as Vogel can bring it out of him but when he is motivated, uh, you, you see him. Um, he's can be an elite offensive rebounder. He, he can be a really engaged defender. And then you see other times like last playoff run where it's like, who is this guy? And you're absolutely right. Um, both the eye test and the plus minus numbers said Jock Landell was amazingly a better option against Nikola Jokic last playoffs.
1: Well, they're going to have to lift him up. And by them, I mean not Vogel. Vogel is going to lift everybody up all the time. The dude wishes all the journalists in the room uh, good luck with your deadlines before yeah. every playoff game. He's a fountain of hope and smiling optimism. The stars are going to have to lift him up. Yeah. And that's that. That's going to mean, like, don't roll your eyes when he does the DeAndre thing of turning away from the rim to shoot a stupid jump hook instead of dunking it. Um Don't get fed up with him when he wants to take mid-range jumpers and all that. You've got you. you have to correct those things, but you're gonna have to do it in a way where it's not shoulders sagging, eyes rolling. Oh, here we go again with this dude because they're gonna need to, and it has to come from Durant, who has not historically been known as that kind of leader, and Booker, who I think is, and Beal, who we haven't seen in a high-stakes situation in a long time. He's gonna have to feel like those guys trust him and respect him and have his best interests for this team to be good enough defensively to win. And by the way, like Durant's a good defensive player. Booker has become a solid defensive player. I think we'll see a renewed effort from Beal. They have these guys that will come in off the wing, off the bench, and do their jobs. Um, And if you have a great offense and you don't foul, and I – they have to correct this fouling problem that they've had for a million years. And I think Frank Vogel historically has done that with his teams. If you have a great offense and you can set your defense and you don't foul, you have a floor that's not high, but like you're kind of walking in as like, we can be the 20th best defense in the league just doing that stuff. And then if we just learn our scheme and do it every single time, we can get to 12th, 13th, whatever, and that's good enough to win the title.
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So like you said, it starts with Aiton. And then um, Josh Akogi was just a huge, just a a monster defensively down the stretch last year. Uh, He played a lot in those KD lineups that, like I said, went 8-0 and during the regular season. Uh, Kind of fell off during the playoffs, uh, shooting-wise. Just didn't have much confidence in his jump shot. But I think he's a player that shouldn't be overlooked I think he could play a huge role even be a starter at times this year and um he's just himself makes you a a much better defense well he lost his starting spot against the Clippers to Torrey Craig because
1: they were worried about matching up with Kawhi in the first round and you wonder if that kind of killed his confidence a little bit because he had been all you want from Josh Okogi in the regular season is do defense is a given rebounding is a given. He was literally one of the best offensive rebounding guards in league history last season in terms of offensive rebounding rate cutting on offense. That's a given uh, beyond that. You just want him to shoot when he's open because you just need a full season of him doing that. So that he knows like, I got to shoot these corner threes if I'm open and he seemed to lose that confidence. I like him. The reason I would go with Bates D up is yeah. at, at first is I kind of want to see what I have. He shot he's big and rangy he's a fantastic cutter which is something I want around these dudes that are going to draw all the attention and he shot 39 percent from three last year I need to see if that's real it's been up and down we need to see if it's real and I like a Kogi in the screen setter role at, on offense as sort of like their Bruce Brown back when Bruce Brown was doing that for the Nets with Durant um And and that's harder for him to do with Aiton on the floor because it kind of marginalizes Aiton a little bit. That's the reason I would go Bates the up. But again, like you said, Gordon is going to close a lot of games as the fifth Mm -hmm. guy. And, you know, all these guys are going to get chances to play.
2: No, I agree. I think you start off with Bates Diop. I would honestly use the regular season just to experiment and try different guys, especially in different matchups. If there's a really tough perimeter player who you want a Kogi on a lot, I'd start him. Um, if it's a, a more general matchup, I'd probably go with Bates Diop and maybe even you know try, try Watanabe. Just see see what they look like with the starters. I think the, the regular season should almost be a 82-game preseason where you see what kind of looks you have because I think that was one of the big issues in the playoffs. They literally had eight games. They had no idea what rotations were supposed to be. Game to game, they completely changed. One game, Damian Lee was playing the most minutes off the bench the next game he didn't even play. So I think this should be all about making sure you have your rotation set, you know which groups play well together, and um, whatever the if that costs you a couple wins in the regular season, no big deal. Just kind of need to figure that stuff out. I will say I, I can't totally dismiss
1: the sort of... I, I'm not skeptical, but I understand why people are. It does feel like culturally... There's a fragility to this team that mm-hmm. you do worry. Like we have seen the Aiton situation spiral out of control before. We've seen, like, we saw what happened with Durant's team in Brooklyn. It wasn't his fault, but like, it just he he just kind of he wanted out by the end. And like, and and Beal will we'll have to see how it all blends. Um, but I, I, on paper, I think the team is better than people even are, are giving it credit for. I will ask you though, as a fan, are you excited about the team? Or do you wish? Do you wish they had kept together the twins, Mikael Bridges, Cam Johnson, like that team? Like, does does part of you miss that group and wish you had just kind of carried it forward?
2: You know, really, Zach. It's to me, it's a no brainer. I've been a fan since '93. The franchise has been around since '68. A uh, longest running team without a title. No, I I want Kevin Durant on my team. I want Bradley Beal on my team. I want to win the title. I think we saw early last season that last year's team wasn't going to get it done like Mikel Bridges incredible player absolutely love him can't wait to cheer for him on Team USA but I want whatever raises the title odds and I think there's no question that having Kevin Durant and Bradley Beal significantly raised the title odds compared to what we would have been talking about a year ago with this team where it was still sort of the homegrown team so love Mikel love Cam wish them all the best uh, Mikel's a free agent in 2026. We'll see. We'll see what. Oh that looks boy! Like. <laughs> but, oh, he's laying
1: seeds for 2026 free agency. Yeah,
2: absolutely, but no, Zach. I want whatever is going to win this team a title. I've been waiting way too long for this. So I, I think that what they've done certainly increases those chances. So I'm excited for that. I think the homegrown is what got them there. They did such a good job with that that they were able to have the pieces to trade for Kevin Durant, and um, I'm excited about. Uh, what they have now? Can we at least
1: agree on this? Matt Ishbia flopped in the Jokic incident. <laughs> he went on record with Brian Windhorst and was like, "I didn't flop. I was just trying to get out of the way and avoid touching Nikola." Dude, you you reclined in that seat more aggressively <laughs> than like my grandpa after a day at the carpet salesman location in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Back in the day, like he fly, he flopped. Like, come on.
2: Sure, maybe maybe a little bit of a flop, but you got to give him credit. I think Booker and KD told him after the game, how often does your owner get you a point? Like, that's pretty crazy. How many owners have gotten a point in playoff history? Not very many, right? You got to give him credit for that, even if there was a little bit of a flop.
1: No credit. Zero You got them a point. So DeAndre Ayton last year, 18 points, 10 rebounds, 59% shooting, 60% on two. Sounds good on paper, right? (laughs) DeAndre and three point revolution never really happened. No. Um, defensively, I thought before last season he had grown into a clearly above average defensive big man. Mm-hmm. One of the only, one of the rare legit seven footers who can protect the rim and drop back and pick and roll is strong enough to battle everyone in the post. No one can battle Jokic anymore. He's achieved unguardability. <laughs> yeah. It's done. Nobody yeah. can guard Jokic in the post, um, but everyone else. And and get out like if you need to corral a pick and roll at the three point line like he can do that and he's fast enough to do it and get back to his guy and offensively I like I know like we all roll our eyes when he like catches the ball and spins away and does a stupid jump hook yeah but I I, 18 a game is not nothing and maybe I'm maybe I'm dumb maybe I've done the thing where it's I've let it color to my brain too much. I go back to that series against the Pelicans from the 2022 playoffs all the time when Booker was hurt and he was putting up 20 a game pretty regularly in that series or 18 and 13, 27 and 14, big scoring games and like making, creating buckets out of nothing, automatic mid range jumpers. And I don't know how you get back to that guy. But that guy is legit, really, really good. Not an all star, not an all star, and that's fine. They don't need him to be an all star, but like a legit, really good NBA center. I just need to see that guy come back again because I, I people talk about DeAndre Ayton now like he's just like a tenth guy, like he's a has already a has been somehow. Like they need to get rid of him, and you know maybe at some point the team thought, yeah, we don't love this contract. We would like to get rid of him, but he's a. He's a good... I still think he's a good player. Yeah. Am I Am I missing something? Am no. I letting that Pelican series color my brain too much?
2: No, that's what's so flummoxing about him because he is... Like, physically, he, he's got everything you want physically, right? Uh, he's strong. He's got the athleticism. He, even back to college, he's been able to guard on the perimeter a little bit. I've obviously not against the best guards, but he can hold his own at least. So that's i think that's what's so frustrating about him because you don't get that deandre Ayton all the time and you don't know when you're going to get that deandre in because even again go back to the denver series two years ago he was probably the i mean chris chris paul was unbelievable offensively but certainly defensively he was the mvp of that series i think he was a big reason that that was a sweep he he was able to do a decent enough job on jokic um He's he's a really good finisher. He's always been a super efficient shooter. Um, I know he had some sort of uh field goal percentage streaks in twenty twenty one. So he gets it done at at both ends. He's he's a good mid range shooter. Obviously, you don't you don't want him taking those shots, but for a big man, he he can make it. Um, really everything except for the three ball, like you said, never never really happened. It's just you don't know what effort you're gonna get out of him on a on a daily basis you you don't know which deandre uh, aiton you're going to get if if it's the um if it's him playing his hardest and at, at his peak that's a well above average center so yeah it's frustrating and and at this point like if if you look at what the suns roster has outside of starting center and you say like who would you want to be their center i'd say deandre aiton would be one of the top players you would say because he's a guy who can who can be that defender um who does a little bit of everything and he he's a really good finisher he's he's gonna get so many opportunities to finish it's just like it feels like he wants to be like what jordan Poole is on washington where he can just take a ton of shots you know and just kind of create and do whatever he wants but um yeah, that's that's why he's frustrating because he always should be better than he is. He shows some um s- some tantalizing potential and and doesn't quite reach it.
1: Yeah, he should get on the phone with Jeremy Grant, who's another guy who wanted to see what he could do as the number yeah. one option on a team. Went to Detroit didn't didn't turn down. I think it was the same money that Denver offered him. Went to Detroit because he wanted to do it, and great, he actually did much better than I thought. And they lost a shit ton of games. And that's what's going to happen to Jordan Poole. And that's what would yeah. happen to DeAndre Ayton. And that's what I mean by they're going to have to lift him up. Because he's not going to be the player he wants to be. And he's not going to be the player every night that they want him to be. And everyone is just going to have to accept that and try to make the best of it and try to lift him up. And I think, I, I think look, Booker, Booker is Booker. Booker is like... He hasn't won a title, but he's already kind of a made man in the NBA in terms of like the respect level that he has, what he's done on the biggest stages. He needs to win a title for his own, you know, satisfaction, probably. But Durant is obviously Kevin Durant. Yeah. But he's, he should be like just, just super hungry to come in and win this year, given that he's never going to be given the quote unquote credit he thinks he des- he's deserved. For being a two-time finals MVP on the Warriors just because of the circumstances under which he joined the team. It actually flummoxes me that Durant doesn't—and I I love Kevin Durant as a player. It's confusing to me that he appears still puzzled by why that is, that he doesn't get the credit. Like, he should have known that the minute he thought about signing there, how that was going to be perceived, and how any level of success— he experienced was going to be perceived. That's not to say he shouldn't have signed. There. He could do whatever hell he wanted. If you gave me a gazillion dollars to live in San Francisco and hang out with Steph, Draymond, and Clay, I would do it. Just yeah. don't expect to be given equivalent credit to like Dirk Nowitzki on the 2011 Mavs, or whatever you want to say. Giannis, sorry on the 2021 Bucks. Sorry, Mike, to bring that to bring that one up. And Beal, man, people need to go back and watch like young Brad Beal going up against Tom Thibodeau's defense in the playoffs when he was, like, 20 years old. Go watch him against the Hawks that won 60 games in 2015. Against the Celtics, even, in 2017 when the Celtics beat him in Game 7. That dude has had some massive playoff games. Yeah. And more than that, the manner in which he's played in those games... From day one, when he was in the NBA, he might have been 19. I don't know how young he was. He was very young because he came to the league very young, and he's facing this like the remnants of this ferocious Tibbs defense. He was completely fearless and comfortable with the ball and comfortable in the moment. And I, I'm hopeful that he wants to come out and 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 be like, I've heard the noise. Like my contract, my contract stinks. The 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 Suns were dumb to give up like a bunch of second round picks and pick swaps for me overlapping skill sets. I'm not a winner. I I'm expecting kind of a big season from Bradley Beal, and I I think he's I'm I'm hopeful he delivers on it.
2: Yeah, and the other thing I love about having Beal as opposed to last year's team with with Chris Paul is there will inevitably be games that KD and Book miss. I, hopefully, not any long term injuries, but. Um, Having a guy like Beal who can shift into that one or two role, I think is going to be really important just for regular season maintenance. Obviously in the playoffs, you need all three of them uh, kicking on all cylinders. But I think having a, a third guy who has been a one and who can be a one for stretches, I think is going to be really helpful.
1: Well, and he's, he is also going to be targeted on defense, almost like the way Curry was by default as the smallest guy in some lineups, the guy who opposing point guards are going to be defending a lot. So he'll, you know, he'll be, he'll be guarding ball handlers on the other end. He'll have to get around screens, something he has not been really good at the past few years. Um, let's see how he handles that kind of sort of, um, mismatch hunting that, that he's going to face. Uh, you know he's going to have to fight and they're going to have to cover for him but he's he's showing his a willingness and ability to do that like there's a world in which this all goes badly and there's infighting and sniping and they're like eight and eight and it's like on the verge of crumbling i kind of think it's going to go the other way where these guys are going to be excited to play together and yeah there are some warts to iron out but this team's going to be really good to be clear denver's the favorite This is the best starting five in basketball with the best player in basketball and the best home court advantage in basketball. And they just won the championship. They're the favorite. Jeff Green, all due respect, was a big part of their championship team. He's replaceable. Bruce Brown is not just like an average bench guy that left, he's not even an average sixth man, really. He was part of their closing lineup on tons of nights and handled the ball a lot. There's a lot that happens in the offseason. Everyone knows that that loss is going to hurt Denver. That is not a trivial loss. Like they fell back a little ways toward the pack, and I think Phoenix is right there, kind of next in line.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think that's certainly how it should be looked at um, going in, and I think that if if that is going to be the a potential playoff matchup and a series that decides the West. Um, excited about what the Suns have compared to what they had last year. Um, certainly with having Brad Beal instead of Chris Paul, who played one and a half games in that series and and was done. Um, but also just having so much more on the bench and, like I said earlier, having what hopefully will be actually cohesive units and actually knowing what the team wants game to game as as far as what their rotations look like. I
1: mean, they're just going to be really hard to guard. You think about it like you can't. It's going to be very hard to have two bad defenders on the floor against them. And yeah. your your point guard is going to have to guard someone. He's going to either have to guard Beal or he's going to have to guard the Bates-Diop spot. And if you put him in that spot, then you have to have three really good defenders to guard the Beal, Booker, Durant trio. Three guys who are comfortable on the perimeter, who can run around screens. You know, other than that, you're going to see... The the weaker defenders hide on Bates Diop like that's where Zion will go, where Luca will go. But it's just it becomes hard to arrange the chess pieces in a way that is not uncomfortable for your defense against these guys. I think these guys are gonna be fun and really really good and in the inner circle of championship contenders.
2: Yeah, you always talk about um, you know what's the least bad choice, and when you're guarding the Suns, especially with that Gordon lineup, they're. <laughs> Man, every choice is bad. There's no least bad choice. Well, the least bad choice is going to be the other guy shooting an open Who, three, as
1: we've right, seen. Right. And there Which with Eric Wade... Gordon is a not great choice. No, if it's Eric Gordon, that's bad. And it, whoever the other guy is on the court, they're just going to have to activate him as a screener on and off the ball. And I think they have the pace and the versatility to do that. Like if the, if the little guy is, if the worst guy is on Josh Okogie, use him as a screener. Um, it's going to be fun, man. We got a lot, we got a long yeah. time to talk about these guys. we got a long off season ahead, but I thought it was time to start just sort of picturing what they're going to look like on the floor. Mike Schwartz, any last words on the Suns? anybody we didn't hit that you want to talk about?
2: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm just excited. I think that, um, I think those are three stars that are like we, we've seen in the past with star trios that it's kind of dueling banjos. I think that KD and Book in particular have so much respect and work so well together that we're not going to see that. I think it's going to be more of a, a cohesive unit. Uh, we shall see.
1: Mike Schwartz, I'll see you in Los Angeles, but not for a little while now uh, before I go back out there for NBA Today. Enjoy the offseason and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. See
2: you soon.